We're getting wiser by looking through the book of Proverbs. So if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 5, it's pretty much in the middle of your Bible. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, 530 is the page number in the blue Bible. So we're going to read parts of 5 and 7, and then I want you to uh, find a way to mark 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, before I begin reading, there are some things I'm aware of. First of all, I'm aware that both of my children are here with their spouses, and Sarah is pregnant. And so, yeah, and now you're aware of that. But I'm aware that probably the last thing they wouldn't want to hear is their father to talk about sex. (laughs) Second thing, I'm aware that this coming week is the high school trip and that we have a bunch of high school students from Ohio. And I'm aware that now they're going to have a lot of interesting conversations after this sermon because this is what a lot of high school students like to talk about. Number three, I'm, I'm aware that I'm covering topics which are quite controversial, may stir up some passions, and my encouragement is if that does stir up passions that you would call me or call one of the elders and have a conversation. We would enjoy trying to talk to you about these things. I'm aware that some of this topic may hit a very painful spot in your heart because of a wound that you have caused or you have received. So I want to be sensitive to that. I'm aware that as I'm preaching, you're going to have an ongoing dialogue in your head. I'm competing against the preacher in your head. And probably this dialogue at some point during the sermon will say, oh, he doesn't understand me or my marriage or the pain that I've been through or the hopelessness that I feel, and you might be right. But I want to invite a conversation rather than just the dialogue turning you to turn off the conversation and not thinking through what might be helpful to you. And finally, I'm aware, painfully aware, that most of us here are guilty of some kind of sexual sin. This topic has a lot of dark corners Some people are hiding things in regard to their past or their current situations that they feel like they can't expose for whatever reason. But I want you to know that's harming your soul. And the best thing you can do is to find somebody that you trust and begin to have a dialogue about those things. So with that in mind, I'm going to have you stay seated. And I want to read through several different uh, verses here in chapter 5 chapter 7, and you follow along with me. First, uh, 1 through 8. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of her life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, 
and do not go near the door of her house. Picking up with verse 15 through 21. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. Chapter 7, beginning with verse 7 through 10. I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. Verse 21. With much seductive speech. She persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your heart turn aside to her, turn aside from her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's our tradition just to take a, a few minutes here to reflect quietly on the Word of God. You may have noticed in reading through the Proverbs this summer that chapters 1 through 9 are a series of speeches a father gives to a son. So almost at the heading of every chapter, it starts with my son. And so you could think about these as nine speeches that a, a dad sits down and gives his son. And then from chapters 10 to 31 is all the Proverbs like you think of. Just, a, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. All those are contained in the last 20 chapters of Proverbs, these short Memorable nuggets of wisdom. But the key verse in the whole book is chapter 1, verse 7. This is the one that's like the foundational verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so this fear isn't like a dread or an anxiety. The fear is like having a healthy mindset. 
It's, it's like understanding that, that I can't follow after my mind or what's in my mind. I've got to put God in the center, and I've got to follow after his mind. I'm, I'm more afraid of what I would think, and I really want to do what God thinks, so he becomes the center. The fear of the Lord is a surrender of your will for God's will. And our surrender then leads that to everything in our lives now orbiting around him. Once we sur- surrender to God, everything begins to orbit around him. Now, listen carefully, because this might be the most important thing I say. Because if you're a Christian, and if you're saying now, I've surrendered my will for God's will, if that's true of the, you, then you and I don't get to make up our own rules for life. I think this is the hardest part of Christianity. You say he's at the center. I say he's at the center. And what that means is I'm trusting his word. And I'm trusting his word over my word. So I don't get to call myself a Christian and then rule, live by my own rules. We don't get to define what's good and evil or what's wise or foolish or what's right or wrong. Instead, God graciously provides us good rules, rules that give us life. And he defines what's wise and foolish. He defines what is healthy or harmful for us. So you don't get to make the rules. Now, would you just say nicely to your neighbor? Just turn to him and say, you don't get to make the rules. Now, I know every teenager here has been waiting for me to say that. To turn to their parents and say, you don't get to make the rules. God gets to make the rules. And we, in greatness, get to follow after those rules because those rules set us free. The, 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 The law of God seems narrow like a funnel. But when you get on that narrow road, it opens up life. And the ways of the world seem so wide. But when you get on that, that narrows you down. You're going in the wrong direction if you get on that highway. So if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you surrender to God's word. That's got to be like an immovable stone in your life. You can't ever let that peace go. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can think and do whatever you want. That's fine. But as a follower of Christ, I just don't get to make the rules. And trust me, I prefer to make the rules. I love making my own rules and living by them. Why? Because then I can just change the rules when I'm not doing them. Oh, that's okay. I can just change the rules. But that's not part of the options here. And so until chapter 5, this series of speeches from a father to a son have been sort of general exhortations about wisdom. Son, don't go the way of the foolish Go the way of the wise. But in chapter 5, he takes a decisive turn. And for two and a half chapters, which is a lot of text, he talks about one particular area. And it's like he's saying to his son, this area needs like a double dose of wisdom. He's looking at his son and saying, I'm tackling this issue head on because it's like the deepest pothole you can fall into on your path of life. And if you can avoid being swallowed up by this one pit, then you can save your family. You might even be able to save a whole nation 
if you can stay out of this one pothole, this one big pit. And what is that pothole? Sexual promiscuity. Now, I want to make this clear. The pothole is not sex. Sex is a good thing. Yay, sex. God is for sex. I want to make sure we get that down. It's not sex that's the pothole. It's sexual promiscuity. It's like, it's like money's not a problem. What's the problem with money? The love of money is the problem. And so it, sex is a good thing, but the pothole is sex outside of God's boundary line. That's the pothole. And if you get outside of that boundary line, the proverb tells us, verse seven, chapter 7, verse 26, many are the victims she has brought down. Do you see that? Many are the people who have stepped into this pit, into this pothole. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. I mentioned in a previous sermon, sexual promiscuity brought down the strongest man in the world, Samson. Sexual promiscuity brought down the wisest man in the world, Solomon. Sexual promiscuity brought the man down who is after God's own heart, David. So we never want to think of ourselves as saying, well, this really isn't a topic for me. This isn't really a problem that I might struggle with. I would say if you think that, you're a fool. You are a fool. You are in great danger if you think that way. So let me begin by laying down some basic ground rules God gives us about sexuality because I think there can be a lot of confusion about these things. And unfortunately, I don't have time to unpack them, but I am inviting you to a conversation if you'd like one. And we've got to remember that whatever we may think or whatever we may feel or whatever the culture may push towards us, we're, we're not taking our cues from the culture. We're taking our cues from God's word. We're especially not taking our cues about sexuality from the culture. We're taking our cues from God's word. So number one, God designed us to be sexual beings. God is pro-sex. He loves it. He created it. So it's a good thing. God's number two, God designed us to have specific sexual identities. Genesis 1, 26, 27, male or female. There are only two choices. Now, this is quite a controversy today. If you sign up for Facebook and you check the gender box, do you know how many different boxes you can check for gender? 58. See, you get to choose. You get to make up what you think your identity is. And God's saying, no, you don't get to choose. I've chosen for you. And there's one of two options. You're either XX or XY. You're either male or female. Those are the only two options. But a heart that doesn't want to follow after God, one of the ways it rebels is it wants to identify itself. I don't want somebody from the outside to identify me. But we're not getting our cues from the world. Number three, God created these two compatible genders so that they could marry, enjoy romantic and sexual relationships. That's not always the same thing. I would want to make sure you understand. You can have a sexual relationship but not have any romance. So the, the call is to get married, to enjoy this romantic and sexual relationship, to have children, establish families. 
That's part of God's plan. And and when marriage is done well, it's so beautiful. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 5, it tells you a little bit. It's like a little window into the mystery of the union between Christ and his church. When you see a beautiful marriage, it's like a window into eternity. Say, that's what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus, how he loves me, how I submit myself to him. So God has ordained sex, but he has put a boundary line around it. It's actually a very clear boundary line. It's only to be shared between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. It's been said that sex is like a fire in your fireplace. As as long as it stays in the fireplace, it can burn as hot as it can be. And a good fire in a fireplace can warm up a, a whole house. But as soon as the fire jumps out of the fireplace into the living room, you have a problem. (laughs) Your house might burn down if it's in the wrong place. And a good sexual relationship in a marriage makes your whole marriage warmer. No fire in your fireplace makes a marriage cold. Adultery can burn down an entire house. Someone has said Satan works as hard as he can to get you to have as much sex as you can before you get married and as little sex as you can after you get married. So what this means for all of the followers of Christ is that all other options for sex outside of marriage are forbidden. Polygamy. These are all going against the grain. Adultery, which includes looking at another person lustfully. Jesus, you remember that in the Sermon on the Mount. So if if you've looked at a woman lustfully in your heart, it's as if you've committed adultery with her. So pornography is forbidden. Fornication, which is a word that maybe we're not familiar with, but it's sex between two people who are not married. Homosexuality is forbidden. And, of course, I don't even know if the Bible thought about this. And you may not know about this, but did any of you have heard of this? It's called soligamy. S-O-L-O. Anybody heard of this? Soligamy. This is a new trend. You want to go home and Google it. It's marrying yourself. I'm not making it up. I promise you I'm not making it up. It's a new trend where people marry themselves. And they have a whole ceremony of things about how they're going to be committed to themselves and love themselves. And it just seems so painful And so ridiculous at the same time that that we've become so narcissistic in our culture. You can marry yourself. And you can have a ceremony about it. All of these things are working against the grain of how God has intended our sexuality to work. So God's boundary line is, is not a particularly popular position in our culture. But again, we're not taking our cues from our culture about sexuality. Now... I'm aware some of you of what I said may stir up some strong emotions, some controversy, some pushback. But I think it's fairly clear if you're going to read the Bible and be honest with yourself, these are the basic ground rules that God has set in store for us. This, this, this father in Proverbs 5, he understands the danger. He understands the pothole that his son can Fall into So he, he has this big block of teaching, these two and a half chapters, and I just want to point out three main points here, and they all begin with the word keep. First, 
Keep your hands off every other woman. It couldn't be any more clear than how he said it. And, and notice, notice how he says it graphically. Verse 3, chapter 5. Her lips will drip with honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. In other words, this temptation, son, is going to be so appealing. And with its appeal, it's going to be so easy to just move right into. I mean, you'll have to be on your guard because it's so appealing. And and before you know it, you're moving down the slope. Chapter 7, verse 15. Let's look at that because this is a, a passage we didn't read. Chapter 7, verse 15. This is the woman who's come out to meet this foolish young man who's walked along the street near her house. And she has all this dialogue with him from verse 10 down to verse 20. In verse 15, I think she says what's most powerful. So she looks at this man and says, I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. Three key words that this person will use. Three words that every heart hungers for to hear is, I want you. Those are some of the most powerful words a heart can hear. When someone comes up and says, I want you, that's a magnet of your heart saying, I long to be wanted. And it doesn't really matter what the person looks like. They have an interest in me. They want me. I'm immediately attracted. She knows exactly what to say to get to this man's heart. And if you're a man or a woman in a cold marriage, you're you're lacking romance or intimacy, this is going to be a very powerful saying to your spouse. If you're in a marriage that's cold, I want you to know if you're not working on it, you're putting your spouse into jeopardy because there will be a man or woman outside who will look at the person and say, I want you. And that will be very powerful if they're not getting that from home. So this woman knows exactly how to reach this man's heart. I I want you. Listen to Proverbs 30. Three things the earth trembles. Four, it cannot bear up. And I'm leaning in. What causes the earth to tremble? They see it and, and the earth shakes. Let me just mention one of you, one of them. An unloved woman who is married. Uh, someone who's married and unloved. The earth can't even hold the pain of that. A woman or a man who is married and unloved. No romance will be powerfully attracted to someone, anyone, who says, I want you. Now, this father's advice here, he understands this temptation. He's seen the pothole. This man has fallen into the pothole. That's why he's so familiar with it. And he gives advice, chapter 5, verse 8, for his son. This is what you need to do, son. You need to keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. And in the the Paul Phillips version, what he's saying to his son is, Run away! Run away! Keep as far away from this person or this 
context as you possibly can. It's like Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house? This woman keeps trying to come after Joseph, and finally he has to run away because he knows this leads to the pit of hell. And I don't want to do anything like that, so I'm running away. The father knows the son won't be strong enough to resist. So don't be like the foolish youth in chapter 7 through 9 who who kind of wanders towards the the street. You notice that? He's in the neighborhood. And what time is it? Uh, It's when it's dark. Nobody can see. It's like this pothole has a long slope. And you get in it long before you fall into the pothole. So he's warning his son. He understands that. And my question to me and my question to you, is there anyone here passing along this street? Anyone putting themselves foolishly in harm's way? Anyone talking suggestively at work? Anyone purposely putting themselves in the company of somebody else that they're attracted to, hoping that everyone else would leave except for the two of them. Anyone sharing Facebook messages or text messages that that are inappropriate. If you're doing these kinds of things, you're a fool. And you may say to yourself, ah, it's just fun. It's really not a big deal. You are a fool, the Bible is saying. You are on your way to a place that you may never ever be able to crawl out of. And the, the, the father is saying, please, just don't get anywhere near that. So the first, keep. Keep your hands off of every other woman. Second, keep. Keep the end in mind. Chapter 7, verse 18. Let's look at that together. Again, this is a very wise woman. She's wily of heart, verse 10. She knows exactly what to say to this man. First, I want you. Secondly, verse 18, come. Let us take our fill of love to the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. She's really this erotic language. And she's saying, let's fulfill Every fantasy until morning. Whatever you delight in, I'm here to provide for you. And we can do it all night long until the morning. But what's the problem? She's trying to get this man not to think of anything past the morning. Just think about what's happening right now. Let's not think about the after. Let's not think about what happens after the morning. Please don't consider the painful consequences, this woman is saying. Chapter 5, verse 4, the father comes into that thinking and says, In the end, the sweet honey turns to bitterness. You're you're cut by a two-edged sword. What else in the Bible is a two-edged sword that cuts you? The word of God. This kind of sin cuts your soul. It's not insignificant. It cuts your soul or your spouse's soul or both of them. This is a two-edged sword. It's going to get all the way down into your spirit. Chapter 5, verse 5, her feet go down to death. And then chapter seven twenty-two. I want to read from another version, the message. 
You can follow along in your Bibles, 722. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop. Like a deer lured into the ambush and then shot with an arrow. Like a bird flying into a net not realizing his flying days are over. The father knows the beautiful, attractive hook is is buried in the bait. And if he just takes one bite, he could be pulled to the surface and he's in the frying pan and it's over. Let me pause here and try to interject a little piece of humor because this is all very heavy. How many are SpongeBob SquarePants fans? Okay. Never thought I could work in SpongeBob into a sermon like this. But if you don't know who SpongeBob is, he's like a goofball sponge. And he's got a goofball friend, right? They're not very smart. Patrick, he's a starfish. Patrick talks like this, right? So that's Patrick. And they have a boss, or SpongeBob has a boss named Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs gives some very wise advice to SpongeBob. And he says, hey, the hooks have come. And there's an episode where all these hooks get dropped down. And he's going around to everybody saying, watch out for the hooks. Don't play with the hooks. Don't get around the hooks. And what does SpongeBob and Patrick do? They go play next to the hooks. And they're playing around the hooks. And SpongeBob's kind of concerned. Oh, Mr. Krabs, I think he said we shouldn't be near the hooks. And Patrick, in sort of a classic moment, I don't think he was meant to be theological here, but this is what he said. He, he, he can't resist the temptation, so he gets this dumb look on his face. He grabs one of the hooks that's got a big piece of cheese on it. And this is what he said. SpongeBob, how could they be dangerous? They're covered with free cheese. How could something be dangerous when it's covered with free cheese? Sexual promiscuity is never free. It looks delicious. It is intoxicating, it says. But it is not free. It is never free. It has a fatal hook. And over the course of 30 years of being in full-time ministry, I've had many painful occasions to talk to people who have stepped into this pothole. Might have been a one-night stand, might be an ongoing affair, might be some habit of pornography. I can tell you, it's never free. Many of them, if they could have just felt the pain of the end, they would have never got involved with it at the beginning. But you get intoxicated by it, and so you're not thinking right about it. You just don't think about the end. And the father's coming in and saying, son, before you get tempted, think about the end. You're going to be like a calf led to the butcher shop. Please, while you're not tempted, think about the end. So when you are tempted, you remember, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to end up in that situation. Now, you, you I don't know everybody here. I don't. I don't know what you're going going on. And even the people I do know, there's a lot that is dark to me, and that's fine. But if you're in this trap, you've got to ask for help. Now, whether it's me or someone else, I don't, I don't care. 
But saying to yourself, I'm not going to do it anymore, God forgive me, isn't going to work. You've got to say it to somebody who can reach down and pull you out of this hole. So I would plead with you not to keep your sexual dysfunction in some way to yourself. The third keep. This is the, this is the best part of the sermon. This is the part I've been waiting to get to. Keep your hands on your wife. Oh, I'm ready to work on application of this already. Keep your hands off of all other women. Keep your mind on the end and keep your hands on your wife. Let's just go to application right now. This is so glorious. This is the great part about this sermon. My poor wife sitting here in this front row. Chapter 5, verse 15. Let's read with delight these verses. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be far, for, far be for yourself alone and not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Don't be intoxicated with the the adulterous woman. Son, don't look at other women. Do look at your wife. Get your eyes focused on your wife. Love her. Study her. Make yourself a, an excellent person. What she looks like. What she likes. What she wants. See, men, you just can't look with a, with a hunger and your own heart, you have to see what hung- she's hungering for. What is it that she wants? What does she think is romantic? What does she think is passionate? It's frequently not what you think it is. Please don't give your wife what you want and think I've done a great thing. You've done nothing. Find out what your wife wants Move in that direction. She'll be moving towards you, I promise you, if you do. So, so don't look at other women. Do look at your wife. Don't drink from another well to satisfy your thirst. Great, great picture there. Uh, sexual appetite is like a thirst. You're, you're thirsty. But do, do let your wife's breasts fill you up at all times. Don't become intox- do become intoxicated with your spouse. This word intoxication means to go astray unconsciously. Meaning, get lost in the love of your spouse. Get out of your mind with your spouse. Heat up the fireplaces hot as it can get so the rest of your marriage has a, a warmth. But it comes with this warning. Don't get intoxicated by the forbidden woman. Do you see? Sex is intoxicating, whether it's with your spouse or someone else. It does feel good at some point. That's why you move towards it. Whether it's with your spouse or somebody else, it is intoxicating. And so God's, God's, God's plan 
is to provide you with a spouse so you can look at her, you can have your hands on her, you can have your thirst satisfied by her. I'm not sure comparing your wife to a deer really would start her engines, but you get the idea here. This, this kind of intimacy is what God has designed, and it's a beautiful design. But it's in a boundary, and outside of that boundary is, is going against the grain. But if you're married, and there's no fire in your fireplace, most marriages are in great danger. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What do you do if you've experienced failure in your life in this area? I don't think any of us would want our, our sexual past projected up on the screen. Everything we've thought, everything we've done. And so you ask yourself, oh, I've, Paul, I've fallen into this pothole. What, what hope do I have for getting out? And I think this passage here, oddly enough, is one of the most encouraging passages for failures, really of all kinds. Notice what he says in verse 9. Don't be deceived. The, these kinds of people aren't going to get into the kingdom of God. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, greeds. Greedy people, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. And then verse 11, notice what he says. Paul's looking at this congregation and says, that's what some of you were. And at first you want to go, whoa, what a congregation. I mean, made up of these kinds of people? I, it's not the kind of church I'd want to be in. Then you relook at the list and you go, oh, I, I fit in several of these categories. How, how do I get out? Where, where, how do I have hope to get out of this pit? And then he tells us, it's great news. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. They didn't clean themselves and then come to church. Please hear that. They came to church and got cleaned by the gospel. The church should be full of these kinds of people because these are the only kinds of people. There aren't any pure people that we need to invite in. There are only people like this in all categories. Christ is coming towards you to say, I can wash you. I can sanctify you. I can justify you. I can say I can pull you out of the pit and set your feet on the rock. And I can say to God Almighty, Paul is not guilty. That's the good news. That's the good news. Summing up, keep your hands off every other woman. Keep the painful end in mind. Keep your hands on your wife. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this hits in a way that very few topics pierce a soul. It's, it's, we call it identity. It, it is part of our identity. And health in this area is so healthy for every other area of our lives. 
unhealth in this area, it degradates every other part of our life. And so I pray, Lord, that all of us have fallen into this kind of pothole in one way or another. And I pray that we we cry out to you and trust in your forgiveness. And then we cry out to one another to say, can you help me here and now? That we wouldn't be people who would live in the dark. We would be people like the people in the church in Corinth. We'd say, yeah, I was just like that. But then I met Jesus and he took me down a different path. Lord, I pray for every heart in here and every question, every comment that came up in a brain that somehow you would address and you would give help to in and cause these lives to be healthy in every way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.